Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining me for today's SMIE Consulting Midweek Roundup for March 10th, 2021. And like we do each week on the Roundup, we're going to be going in-depth into three questions that we've been hearing from international educators this past week. We'll get to those questions in just a minute, but before we do, a special shout-out to those watching live on our Facebook page for SMIE Consulting, those on our YouTube channel, watching re on repeat on Facebook, or downloading our podcast and making it a part of your weekly listening pleasures. Thank you for being a part of the SMIE family. Uh, today on the Roundup, as we do each week, we take three news stories and themes we've been seeing from news stories over the last week, going more in-depth into them, and providing some context for how these issues might impact what we do in international education here in the U.S. As always, we take uh, our news stories from the SMIE Consulting e-newsletter called All the SMIE News Fit to Share, and that's SMIE Social Media and International Ed Consulting. So that goes out Monday mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern, and you can subscribe for free at smieconsulting.org slash subscribe. And we get that to your inbox at 9 a.m. Eastern. And each week uh, we look through that newsletter and pull out five or six uh, stories that go together into common themes and present them more in depth to you here on our live chat on Wednesday afternoons. Uh, I do put the links to the stories we discussed today in the comments section on the Facebook page. But in case you haven't uh, received the newsletter uh, or don't get that as part of your um, weekly uh, email, uh, you can also watch on the Facebook Live uh, feed uh, in the comments section for, the, for this video, or you can get the SMIE Consulting newsletter, and I'm putting the link to this week's episode uh, in the comments section as well. So please check that out, and hopefully it becomes uh, useful for you down the road. Now let's get into our first question. Uh, first up is, are international student opinions about the United States changing? And this is coming from an IDP Connect survey. Uh, uh, full disclosure, uh, one of my consulting opportunities is with IDP Connect. I do a weekly, or excuse me, a monthly series, a blog series for them uh, in the middle of one of those right now. And uh, this survey uh, is done with over 800 prospective students uh, that assess their beliefs on and perspectives, opinions on various study destinations after the U.S. elections. And the results of these were pretty remarkable and certainly welcome news for international educators in the United States, where 76% of students surveyed have improved perceptions of the United States uh, after the presidential election, with 67% saying they are now more likely to study here in the U.S. Now, they asked nine key factors that uh, they expected uh, that students were asked about related to the U.S. Uh, as uh, everything from welfare of international students, safety of its citizens and visitors, and post-study work visa policies that would they international students, these prospective students, see as areas that they expect the most change in, positive change in. Uh, they looked at... Uh, that uh, the, the, they saw also that the current administration uh, expect would have a positive impact on their home country as well. And that certainly reflects uh, President Biden's um, attempts to uh, re-engage America with the world and uh, as, uh, as the way he put it in his inaugural address. Uh, they also had in the survey, they asked students study destination others if they were considering other countries. 
and the results were fairly uh, fairly striking as well. And this is this is something I talk about uh, quite regularly: is the importance of having perspective as international educators here in the U.S. about what other countries are doing and what current student opinions of other countries are. That we take for granted in the U.S. that if students are applying to the U.S., they're only going to be considering the United States as a destination. So our job is to sell our school over our competitor schools for international students. But that's not the case anymore. That might have been 30 years ago, but not now. And right now, we're faced with an, uh, a, a, pla a playing field that includes many more competitors than it did uh, 20 years ago. Uh, we see uh, many more active and more uh, more organized competitors than we saw a few years ago. And of those sur students surveyed, again, these 800 plus uh, prospective international students, 50% were also considering the United States, or beyond the United States, were also considering Canada. 41% were also considering the UK, and just over a quarter were considering Australia, which numbers would be significantly down over a year or two ago. And that improved perception of the United States could indicate increasing competition for these three destinations, US, UK, Australia versus US. Uh, in, in related to, to uh, international students globally and where they might be looking. So it's really interesting to, uh, to look a little bit more in depth of this. The Pi News uh, has a more uh, detailed article focused on these results, on these survey destination results. That, uh, and they talk more about uh, that there was the real expectation that uh, international students uh, would be uh, would ex that they expected improvements in so many different areas. So we'll, be, we'll keep an eye out on that and how that changes. But this certainly shows, I think, the kind of, kind of perspective we need to be taking as international educators when we put together our messaging and our communication plans with prospective students and their parents is how much do we acknowledge that they have choices. And this is something I've talked about with my blog series for IDP Connect and uh, about knowing that other countries right now, Australia, New Zealand, China, as major destinations for international students are not accepting a new and returning international students back in the country yet after COVID. So in the US, Canada, UK, who have been more open, uh, there is now that opportunity for us to advance the car cause as, an, as a destination market for international students and make that a part of why we're an attractive destination. In addition to the new administration, we are more open, uh, better post-study work opportunities, uh, that type of thing that we need to be pushing as part of our overall messaging to prospective students. So I think there's a lot of uh, value that we need to be, uh, be making sure is part of our messaging to prospective student audiences and making sure that they're aware of just how welcoming the United States is as a destination, which I think we do a good job of, but extolling the values of why U.S. education is so much of an advantage to international students, no matter where they're coming from in the world. So I think that needs to be a part of our messaging, not just how we compete against our peers, but why we're better than them, but including in our messaging to students and parents the value of a U.S. higher education and talking about some of the concrete pieces of that. Uh, and part of what the, the survey results uh, reflect is the, uh, is the appreciation of the diversity of, uh, of the United States. And 33% of those students surveyed said they were attracted to the multiculturalism of the U.S. That 43% saw the availability of part-time work while they're students as an important piece of the puzzle. 
46% uh, said that their institutional or university of choice is in, in the United States. 59% saw the U.S. as a modern, progressive, and dynamic country. And those are the things that these students see as values for us, and that's something we should be reflecting back to them in our messaging. So it's important to be aware of what students' interests and needs are as we can craft our own messages out to, to uh, future audiences. So I think these, this IDP Connect survey is the first of, a, of, of what I assume will be a number coming out in the, in the uh, upcoming months related to post-election uh, survey results. So hopefully we'll see similar trends in other reports when, we, when those come out. But this is the first that I've seen that really has a post-election uh, post tilt to it. And there were a lot of predictions before the election that yes, and we were cautiously optimistic in the United States that uh, students, once they saw the tone of the administ new administration and the messaging that would be, they knew would be vastly different, they thought that uh, the perce their perceptions of the U.S. would change, and that certainly seems to be the case so far. It's early days, but it's good news for the U.S. as a destination market, as long as we leverage it appropriately. And I think that's the piece that not all institutions really grasp at their core in terms of their messaging and how nimble and flexible they are to adjust and certainly if the last year has taught us anything and how we communicate with uh, prospective students and even our current students it's how we need to be able to shift courses and change tacks fairly quickly and on the fly oftentimes uh, to adjust to a changing world circumstances, changing travel uh, perceptions, on, changing on-campus requirements. All of these are things that we need to be aware of and incorporate quickly into our messaging. And more the more we'll talk about this through, uh, through the coming weeks and months is the importance of making sure your current students are part of that messaging uh, to future students and because their stories are the ones that will have the greatest impact going through uh, a global pandemic on your campus, uh, that means uh, is solid gold in terms of if they're having positive experiences, they're able to share that with future students. That's always been a part of what we hope, and, and I certainly encourage uh, my university clients to take on board, is that your current students are your best advocates, and even more so in times when there may be mistrust in terms of me messaging coming out from the official institutional source or the government source, that they're more uh, comfortable when they're hearing the message of what it's like as a student on your campus from our current international who's living it now. Simple enough to think, to process, and to take on board, but how well are you implementing that on, on your campus? And I think that's something that we really, in the U.S., need to spend a lot more time on in our international recruitment efforts compared to other countries where two-thirds to three-quarters of institutions are already using peer recruitment very effectively. And we'll talk more about what that looks like uh, in the coming weeks and months. So part of that, and shifting gears a bit to talk about uh, what's next, our next question is how has the landscape of social media changed? Now, social media is no longer the new kid on the block uh, in terms of a, a communication platform uh, for uh, institutions to leverage as they reach out to prospective student audiences, but it is ever evolving. It's been around for 15, 20, 15 16 years as a regular part of our our existence and certainly our students' lives, it's been around for that long. I've been using it as part of international recruitment efforts since 2005 myself when I was on the institutional side. Then in 2009, after joining Education USA, we launched their global social media platforms, which are doing, doing extremely well to this day. Uh, and those are the ones that 
will the social media platforms that you've been investing in, your campus has been investing in for years, maybe you, you don't have that yet on an, on an international scale uh, where you have separate channels for international audiences. Some do, but some, most don't. Uh, they rely on their university channels, uh, main channels, or the Office of Admissions main channel to get messaging out to prospective student audiences and parents. But I think what is important for international admissions folks to, to know is to be aware of what's out there. Uh, and one resource is I always uh, direct my university clients to when it comes to being, being aware of what the, what the landscape looks like uh, related to social media and what, what's good where is the team at We Are Social. They've been doing some outstanding work for at least four or five years uh, that cover a range of issues on digital, mobile, and social trends in the world. Uh, they've been partnering with Hootsuite in the last year to combine efforts. Hootsuite's one of my favorite social media management tools that I've been using for uh, well over a decade. Actually, no, more like uh, about 12 years now. So uh, there are some amazing um, data sources out there, but We Are Social, I think, combined now with our combined work with Hootsuite, presents probably some of the most useful uh, data on digital social media uh, and mobile trends in the world. Now, they, uh, they do an annual report, uh, and their digital 2021 report was just released. It's over 299 slides on global data, so a lot to digest. But there's some high-level stuff that we've, we, I've learned certainly using their services and their free services, at least in uh, providing the data uh, on, and slide decks, uh, where you know over, uh, well over uh, half, of the, half of the world's population, I think it's 55, 60% now, are connected to the Internet. Uh, that, uh, or more, actually more like 70%, but 55% of the world who are using, uh, who are online are using social media. Uh, most of those on mobile devices. So it's really something that I think as we look towards, uh, towards uh, for sources of information, these guys also have a full library of local country reports. And if you are at an, in, at an institution that does have primary markets established, secondary, tertiary markets in your recruitment plans, uh, these country level reports can be a great source of information for you as you look to dr drill down to the local level or country level at least to identify, okay, what platforms do I need to be focusing on if I'm recruiting in China? Uh, we all know the stories about the differences in Chinese social media, but how about in India? Uh, is WhatsApp the best messaging platform to be using? Is it another one? Uh, how do uh, students in Brazil uh, di uh, uh, digest information on social media? What what are their platforms of choice? So it helps you identify key elements that you can then leverage in your actual plan to recruit students from every country that's on your target list. So some fantastic data. I certainly recommend uh, checking it out. I mentioned WhatsApp as part of that. Uh, and WhatsApp, uh, for those road warriors uh, who've been to India or many other countries, if you've been using WhatsApp as part of your messaging out to to uh, prospective students after you meet them at a fair, uh, you're getting their WhatsApp numbers or they're getting yours and then you're adding them, adding them in and having conversations. Um, I've talked to many uh, recruiters who um, have been, or pre-pandemic were already establishing uh, WhatsApp groups uh, for uh, admitted students or prospective students that are looking at the next year so that conversations could be, could, uh, be going uh, along there in, a sm in small group settings or a larger group depending on your, on your institution. 
but I've seen more of that happening. And during the pandemic, uh, it's, it's one thing when you're out on the road recruiting and you're, and you're WhatsApping kids you met at the fair the previous night or from a school. But when you've been uh, housebound or uh, office bound for the last year, not being able to travel, uh, you've been, if you've been using your WhatsApp, uh, the WhatsApp app on your phone for that process, that can be fairly tedious. Uh, now, the good news is there's uh, WhatsApp has just launched through their desktop app, finally getting voice and video calls. Uh, right now, they're just one-on-ones uh, for voice or video calls, but that's a sign that I think uh, you can expect in the, in the coming months, if not year, uh, you'll see uh, the ability for group calls uh, and group uh, voice chats. So I think that has great value uh, for recruiters, and it's certainly something that if you have been using WhatsApp as part of your recruitment, that you also uh, will hopefully find value in it now being on the desktop, on the desktop app that you can manage conversations, uh, actual voice conversations or video calls uh, more directly. So great tool to, to leverage uh, WhatsApp, if you're particularly on the recruitment side. Uh, certainly encourage everybody to, to look into it if you haven't already as part of your overall recruitment plan. Now, last up, we're going to shift gears down under. And uh, if you're looking at my map here, it's right here in this bottom corner. I uh, love using these maps as uh, reference points for some of my, uh, some of my chats. Uh, and certainly, uh, Australia has had a rough go of it the last year. Uh, the pandemic hit right as their new academic year was beginning last February, March. And as a result, uh, their borders shut down. Most countries' borders shut down. People stopped traveling. Uh, in any significant numbers around the world. Uh, Australia, certainly New Zealand, China had almost total shutdowns that impacted anything coming in to those countries. And if students were not already back on campus or had already arrived for the beginning of their academic program with, on, for their, with their Australian universities, they were shut out. They had to study remotely. Uh, over half of the Chinese students that were expected to be in Australia ended up staying in China and studying from home. Uh, that's happened, obviously, we've seen a lot of that here in the United States where 20% of our uh, students that uh, came in last fall uh, were enrolled in university courses but doing so from their home countries. Uh, that number was much, much larger for Chinese students who couldn't get into Australia to begin their programs or to return to their programs. So. Uh, what had happened, and the first article I'm putting out uh, related to this is from another IDP Connect article uh, that is entitled, Are Australian University Pop-Up Study Hubs in China Here to Stay? So is there going to be permanence to those kinds of uh, uh, temporary fixes to significant problems Australia has had in terms of bringing students to, country, to the country to begin their programs or continue their programs? So these uh, study hubs, uh, we've talked about this in the past on how, the, how many U.S. institutions that had already existing pre-university uh, partners in China uh, were able to make deals to have their co new cohorts of Chinese students begin term together in person and be instructed remotely by uh, or sometimes having uh, having local professors teach teach some of their courses uh, that that has happened there have been others like CIIE who made their their offices available in a number of countries but particularly in China available to universities who didn't have partners but still wanted to have their cohorts start together and have that physical uh, presence where they could they could meet regularly for their courses. Uh, that's happened 
but and Australia had similar versions of that, what they call pop-up study hubs in China uh, that allowed their newly admitted uh, Chinese students that couldn't get to campus to begin their programs. So the, the article goes on to, to go a little bit in, in depth to that about whether that will continue. Uh, it's not strictly transnational education like the British have, have mastered quite well over the years, but it does provide international students flexibility and choice because they know they can't get in to Australia. Uh, the, the only question is uh, the hubs do boat boost the learning, remote learning experience because you do have that physical connection with other students in a similar situation, but we're not sure if, how long term that is going to be or sustainable that is going to be. Uh, so there's some interesting insights in that article what some current universities, Australian National University in particular, are doing uh, to bring Australia to, student, to their students in Shanghai. Uh, but the real challenge down under, I think, is the ongoing inability for international students to come into the country physically and uh, be on campus. Uh, that um, there's an, a Pi News article I'll post the link to called Fortress Australia Needs to Open Its Doors to International Students. And it's basically making the case that this author is that uh, international education is at a breakdown point uh, in, in Australia because of now uh, the beginning of a second academic year with no new international students able to come to campus, returning students not being able to come into the country to finish their programs. And though there have been uh, certainly post-study work exemptions made for students who were in that uh, uh, towards the end of their degree programs or just beginning their degree programs online, that the, the time spent studying remotely would not count against them. Uh, and would count towards their uh, post-study work eligibility in Australia. I know the UK has done that, Canada has done that, and the US has done that as well in allowing returning students to uh, remain outside the country and still be maintaining status if, as if they were in country towards um, OPT at the end of their time. But this uh, Pi News article also talks about how uh, the economic impact on uh, Australia for an, a second full year where no new international students are able to come is, has been financially devastating. Uh, and it's, we've already shared over the last month or so uh, in, in, information on the number of job losses at universities. That we've, we've shared that again to give perspective uh, where in the U.S. we've had 650,000 job losses on campuses since, uh, since the pandemic hit. Uh, divided out amongst the 4,500 uh, institutions, that works out to be 144 jobs per campus. And I, I know uh, the job, some of the job cuts are not done yet. Uh, I've uh, just heard in the past week uh, at one particular Rhode Island institution that had a very good reputation internationally has basically given up uh, and uh, four international admission staff were let go uh, altogether and that uh, their focus is now on the domestic markets. Though so they have kept their international student services open because uh, they have to obviously care for the students they still have. But for institutions to be giving up, that certainly, and, and cutting staff, particularly in international areas, is not a positive sign. But uh, even as we're about to come out of the, of the pandemic, they held out long enough, uh, or what I would hope would be through the worst of it, and now they're, they're now making the, the cuts that uh, they, they couldn't wait any longer to make, apparently. But uh, in Australia, our, on our campuses, that's about 144 on average per institution. 
given the 4,500 in the U.S. that we have institutions. But in Australia, 17,300 job losses, so far fewer, but that's spread out of over only four, over 40 colleges and universities. So that works out to an average of 432 jobs per campus. That's almost triple the amount per campus of job losses we've experienced in the U.S. So Australian institutions, you've been hit hard, and my heart goes out to you because I know I, I've been on campuses where they've downsized and had significant uh, cuts, and that's, it's never a positive experience, uh, even for the best of us, best intentioned of us. But I certainly hope that uh, it's not just the colleges and universities that have been impacted in Australia. The English language program sector has been decimated across the globe as a result of the pandemic uh, because uh, in some countries, uh, students couldn't, even if they wanted to, couldn't come in because English language wasn't considered a priority course. So that's certainly been the case in Australia. There's no other sources. If, if students can't get in the country to take their English language programs, doing remote study isn't really a viable option when you're talking about English language instruction. So real challenges there uh, across the board in Australia. But what is probably most damaging about what's, what to, uh, that's like, kind of a double hit there with not allowing students in and having the job losses on campus. You're now seeing in Australia, there's also been rumors and some actual confirmed uh, talk uh, amongst their agent networks and Australia's universities use predominantly agents to recruit their students. And in China, where 37% of university students in Australia are from China, uh, that's their biggest uh, source of revenue for international student funds uh, in, in Australia, that they are now hearing reports from their agents in China, uh, not just in uh, smaller regional cities, but also in Beijing and Shanghai. They've been he hearing stories from their agents that they're being told by local authorities not to send students to Australia. Now, the details of this not send uh, to Australia anymore are not, there's no details in terms of time, how long this is going to be in place for, or until Australia reopens, we're not going to send, or is this a new course that the government's charting because of the political tensions that's existed between Australia and China? Uh, that's certainly been played out where uh, the U.S. is no longer perhaps uh, enemy num public enemy number one in terms of the government size, that Australia might unfortunately be taking on that role in, in terms of the government's targets. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. It's certainly never a good sign when your number one country starts to pull or tell its agents that might be sending students to your country previously in, in vast numbers is now saying, sorry, you can't send students there or don't send students there. Uh, we don't know again how how enforceable all these things are, but certainly and what the individual agents' plans are related to that, if how, how, how they must abide by that. But that's never, never good news, and uh, certainly there's a lot uh, of talk like that that can be uh, very damaging. And some of the group, even group of eight agent, uh, universities in Australia, have heard these stories from their agents. So um, it's probably not going away anytime soon. So we'll, we'll certainly keep our eyes on that one as it relates to Australia. So a lot to process, obviously, every week that we, we come to you live. Uh, we want to make sure we're providing you as up-to-date information as we can on a lot of the very fluid situations with student mobility around the world in a time of a global pandemic. But we hope the message of uh, being prepared, having that perspective, being flexible and adaptable in what you do and, 
drilling down in places where you need to drill down to help you better reach your, your target audiences, given that perspective of what's happening in the rest of the world, I think is an, is an important step that we can all benefit from. Uh, and I do hope that we are able to carry on these conversations in future weeks and months. And certainly feel free to reach out to me if you have questions or concerns about uh, how you might be able to uh, use some of these stories to your advantage on campus and how you can manage up uh, as you need to uh, every once in a while to help keep your administration in the loop on what's happening around the world and how it's going to impact what you, how you do what you do. So thanks again for joining me this week on the Roundup, and we're looking forward to joining you uh, in the coming days and weeks ahead as uh, we come towards the end of the pandemic's impact on what we do. So until next time, have a wonderful day.